It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. It's the Media Buzz Meter with Howard Kurtz. Don't worry, don't worry. I'll get to Maine in just a second. Happy Friday, happy New Year's. This is the last podcast of 2023. But we'll be back in 2024. Um, Happy to have you join. And, you know, rather than deal with these the greatest podcasts, movies, lists of 2023, how about we deal with some real news? By the way, although it's a holiday weekend, I will be on duty on Sunday with Media Buzz on Fox at 11 Eastern. Now, I've just been puzzling about this Daryl Hall and John Oates thing. You know, they've broken up and Oates is suing Hall, I guess. So here's an actual uh, podcast interview. Um, And I'm trying to figure out What's what this is really about? So, Daryl Hall had a court filing in which he tried to stop Oates's attempt to sell his stake in their company to a music publisher, saying this amounted to a global divorce and was the ultimate partnership betrayal. Now, Oates said in his own court filing that Daryl Hall's statements were inflammatory, outlandish, and inaccurate. So, you know, they're both very proud of all the music they made. But, man, do any of these groups not break up and spend the rest of their lives being ticked off at each other? You know, on a more serious note, this swatting phenomenon, I mentioned the other day this happened to Marjorie Taylor Greene, on Christmas morning, And now she's reporting that both of her daughter's houses got swatted. Big thanks to the police who responded. We appreciate and support you. Whoever's doing this, you're going to get caught, and it won't be funny to you anymore. Swatting, of course, is when, I guess the term has become so uh, widespread now, maybe I don't need to define it. Swatting is, is when somebody calls the cops and says it's a crime being committed at so-and-so's house. And so law enforcement shows up and it turns out there's nothing going on except maybe a Christmas celebration. Also, Republican lawmaker, uh, uh, Congressman Brandon Williams of New York and Senator Rick Scott of Florida have also said they have been the target of swatting incidents. Here's uh, Senator Scott. These criminals wasted the time and resources of our law enforcement in a sick attempt to terrorize my family. Yeah, it can't be fun to look out your window and see a bunch of police officers, armed police officers, coming to your front door. Now, most of the targets have been Republicans, but not all. The mayor of Boston, Michelle Wu, also had uh, law enforcement come near her home 
after a report of a shooting that police later found was a hoax. So this is really a sick and twisted and demented development. And law enforcement is going to have to come up with a way. I mean, on the one hand, you know, one out of every 20 calls, there might actually be violence going on, and you don't want to not have a police response. But I don't know if these people use burner phones or what it is, but there's got to be a way to deal with this. Now, I am not reading you this next story just because I got to get some sex into the podcast, get my final numbers up. But this is news. Lots of people are reporting it. I saw it first in the New York Post. The chancellor of the University of Wisconsin was fired after it was revealed that he films his own adult content with his wife. Let me stop there. If that's all he did, who cares? Who would know about it? Private life. But then post the X-rated videos online. And this is a guy who previously had a porn star speak on campus with a speaking fee of thousands of dollars. So the Board of Regents at Wisconsin uh, unanimously decided to dump UW lacrosse chancellor Joe Gao, citing his abhorrent content, conduct, excuse me, uh, again, all riled up here. In recent days, we learned of specific conduct by Dr. Gao that has subjected the university to significant reputational harm. His actions were abhorrent. Now, Gao appears in, according to this, various online porn videos with his wife using sexy happy couple as their public account name. And these appear in places like OnlyFans and Pornhub. Um, Another critic from the university, we are alarmed and disgusted by his actions, wholly and undeniably inconsistent with his role as chancellor. So this is the thing. Do whatever you want on your own time. Privacy of your own home. It's with your spouse. Why do people think this uh, happened at one time to a... a member of Congress, that if you put X-rated pictures or videos online, even if you use a stage name, that somebody's not going to find it and that your job would be in danger. Presumably, to be the chancellor at the University of Wisconsin, you must be a pretty smart dude, but, and, you know, his wife is in on it too. But this is just nuts. And before I dive into the Actual news. I guess this is actual news if you're Joe Gao. Uh, you know, I did a whole riff on Tommy Smothers, who died the other day at the age of 86, of, of course, of the Smothers brothers. And what a huge deal they were in their groundbreaking comedy show on CBS, which the cowards at CBS then canceled because of affiliate complaints. It would be considered mild if it was on the air today. Uh, I saw one clip of uh, Smothers coming out. This is, you know, in the 90s on The Tonight Show. Apparently he had like 25 appearances or more on The Tonight Show and imitating Johnny Carson just with all the mannerisms and looking right and left and saying hi to Doc Severinsen. And it was really funny. But what I did not know is this, that Tom Smothers was close with John Lennon at the 1969 recording in Montreal of Give Peace a Chance, 
The only musical accompaniment was two acoustic guitars, one held by John Lennon, the other by Tommy Smothers. All right, number one, the main secretary of state, whose name is Shanna Bellows, we got word late yesterday, has knocked Donald Trump off the ballot in that state. I, I can't tell you how absurd, ridiculous, and nutso this is. Now you have Colorado and Maine. I'll get to Colorado in a moment. At least in Colorado, there was a court. And it was a 4-3 decision. So you had multiple people, all appointed by a Democrat governor, weighing in. In this case, it's just a Democrat, a single person, whose name is Shanna Bellows, who's made this decision. A single Secretary of State says, ah, Trump can't run in this state. Now, Maine is not that important a state because it's small and doesn't have a lot of electoral votes and doesn't have a huge weight even in the primaries. But I can't understand how she gets off, lifelong Democrat, saying, I and I alone am declaring that Donald Trump is an insurrectionist and therefore he can't be on our ballot. Now, I happened to see her on CNN this morning and she was giving very legalistic, formulaic responses Genovello saying, well, you know, any registered voter can challenge a ballot. I was required by law to take it up. She had a, a, about an eight-hour virtual hearing, but it also included things like news clips and YouTube clips. Totally not admissible in court, but she's not a court. She is the Secretary of State. So what does she say in this ruling? Events of January 6th were unprecedented and tragic not only an attack upon the Capitol and government officials, but also an attack uh, on the rule of law. The evidence here demonstrates that they occurred at the behest of and with the knowledge and support of the outgoing president. The U.S. Constitution does not tolerate an assault on the foundations of our government. Now, here's a statement from Donald Trump's spokesman. Democrats in blue states are recklessly and unconstitutionally suspending the civil rights of the American voters by attempting to summarily remove President Trump's name from the ballot. Make no mistake, these partisan election interference efforts are a hostile assault on American democracy. Trump, of course, is appealing. He has to appeal through the main court system and then can get to the Supreme Court. But Bellow said the January 6th events were violent enough, potent enough, and long enough to constitute an insurrection. Now, this obviously, like the Colorado case, is going to end up at the Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court is going to have to move fairly quickly. But... It plays right into Donald Trump's hands. Even you have, you know, you have uh, Chris Christie and Nikki Haley, who I'll get to, and uh, Ron DeSantis saying, we'll beat him at the ballot box. Courts should not decide this. All the people who think there was 
a deep state conspiracy, a media conspiracy, all kinds of conspiracies against the former president of the United States will now say, well, look at this. This is purely partisan, a Democratic court in Colorado, a Democratic secretary of state. And by the way, in the CNN interview, she wouldn't really discuss. She just kept coming back to process. Well, this is required. And here's the appeal, you know, trying to uh, come off as a reasonable person who made a considered decision. But clearly, she doesn't like Donald Trump. In fact, here's her history. Jenna Bellows, she was executive director of the ACLU in Maine for almost a decade. She ran for the Senate as a Democrat in 2014. She was then elected to the Maine Senate, where she served for four years until 2020. She led the Holocaust and Human Rights Center of Maine, She was a 2020 presidential elector in the Electoral College. So this woman keeps running for office, gets elected as a Maine senator, eventually becomes Secretary of State. She was at the 2020 Democratic Convention. I mean, you can't pass her off as somebody who's being nonpartisan. She can talk all she wants about the state constitution. The main effect of this and excuse me, I wasn't trying to do a pun there, the M-A-I-N effect of this, is going to be to create more support, at least on the Republican side, for Donald Trump. You even have, when I first got into talking about the Colorado Supreme Court decision, you even had some liberal commentators saying, you know, I, I don't want Trump in the Oval Office again, anywhere near the Oval Office, but this is not how you do it. And just... You know, take a half a second to imagine if Republicans controlled these states and started saying, well, you know, Joe Biden can't appear on the ballot because clearly he's violated his oath of office in allowing the border to uh, become an absolute disaster for the United States of America. And he's not. He promised to take care and faithfully execute the laws. It just plays into all of the people and even some fair-minded people who are on the other side who say an election can't be decided like this where you just go around banishing the opponent from the other party. By the way, California has ruled that Donald Trump, you know, California, an unbelievably blue state, biggest state, Donald Trump can appear on the ballot. So it's just made in Colorado. And speaking of Colorado, I don't understand this at all. So the ruling is stayed by the state Supreme Court so that while well, Donald Trump hasn't gotten around to appealing it to the U.S. Supremes, um, the Colorado Republican Party has done that. And so now the Secretary of State in Colorado, Jenna Griswold, who is also a Democrat, She says that in her opinion, the state court was right to kick Trump off the ballot. But nevertheless, he will appear on the ballot unless the Supreme Court quickly upholds the decision. So I don't understand. If the Supreme Court upholds it, obviously, and I think this is completely far-fetched with a 6-3 conservative majority, 
then Trump would not appear on the ballot. But what if the Supreme Court does nothing? Of course, if the Supreme Court goes the other way, then this is all moot and it just becomes another episode for Trump to criticize with ample right. And I understand the 14th Amendment argument. The question is, who gets to decide who's an insurrectionist? Does it have to be done at the federal level? Or can every state just do whatever the hell it wants? So, the GOP in Colorado says he'll be included as a candidate on the primary ballot when certification occurs on January 5th, unless the Supreme Court, of course, takes the case. Hey, let's pause right there. The buzz meter continues right after this. Precise, personal, powerful. It's America's weather team in the palm of your hands. Get Fox weather updates throughout your busy day, every day. Subscribe and listen now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Now let's get back to Nikki Haley. Story two. You know, I don't have any great eloquent lead into this other than say that, man, she has really stepped in it. I watched that exchange several times. Softball question. Right over the plate. What was the cause of the Civil War? I mean, I think any fourth grader, fifth grader, sixth grader would say slavery. Especially because Nikki Haley was, is from South Carolina, was the governor of South Carolina, must know full well that the very first reason cited in South Carolina's secession from the Union, the first state to break away from the United States as a prelude to the Civil War, it was about slavery. It says it right there. It was about the Republicans, the party of Lincoln, the relatively new party that existed to fight slavery, trying to move toward abolishing the heinous and inhumane practice of white people owning other human beings. And opposing the Democrats at that time, opposing or pushing, I should say, in the North, expansion, not all the northern states, of slavery to some of the Western territories. So now she's been making the rounds and saying things like on a New Hampshire radio show, of course the Civil War is about slavery. We know that. That's the easy part of it. And she says, we have to, I was trying to talk about the lessons of today. Remember her answer was, it was about the role of government and freedom and what people could do and couldn't do. What people could do was own slaves, including um, that had been true since the, the days that some of the founding fathers owned slaves. This is a stain on the record of America. There's just no other way to look at it. And then she got a second chance. I said, well, how can you not mention slavery? And she said, looking flustered, what do you want me to say about slavery? And then she moved on. Well, now she's saying it's a given. She didn't have to mention it. Uh, okay. Nikki Haley is saying, I want to nip it in the bud. Yes, we know the Civil War was about slavery. 
But more than that, what's the lesson in all this? This was in the radio interview. Then later she spoke to reporters. America had the decision and the moral question of whether slavery was a good thing. And when the government, economically, culturally, any other reasons had to ro- a role to play in that. By the grace of God, we did the right thing and slavery is no more. I say that as a Southerner. I say that as a Southern governor who removed the Confederate flag off the state house grounds. And look, I don't suggest for half a second that Nikki Haley is a racist or she's pro-slavery or whatever. What I do suggest is she completely and totally blundered in a way that what's really going on here was she was afraid that some Republicans would be offended if she brought up slavery in today's MAGA party. That's what this was about. She knew exactly what she was doing. She was trying to dance around the question. Ron DeSantis going after her. Uh, She had some problems with um, basic American history. I just think this shows this is not a candidate that's ready for prime time. Um, Haley also telling reporters, if it requires clarification of saving yes, the Civil War is about slavery, I'm happy to do that. But she was not happy to do that at the New Hampshire Town Hall. Now, here's Mike Murphy, veteran Republican consultant who has been involved in a number of presidential campaigns, helped John McCain win the New Hampshire primary in 2000. And I've known him a very long time. On his Substack, Murphy says, I've never been a Nikki Haley fan. I find her cynicism depressing, and she is far too quick to pander away on whatever the latest insipid GOP crowd-pleasing trope might be. Still, compared to Trump, she's Gandhi. Murphy has a good sense of humor. So I've been boosting her candidacy. Nikki got a softball one-on-one question and turned it into the worst answer pivot in the history of, well, answers. I guess you could argue Haley gave the perfect answer if she was running for president of the Confederacy. So Murphy goes through, you know, each step. I guess he's watched the videotape. Frozen smile in place. Listens to the question. Does an immediate 180 spin. Walks away from the questioner. This is a real tell. For her, it's fight or flight time. But she's trapped. Three, she needs, sadly, a few seconds to think of an answer that won't offend anybody, since that is the core programming deep inside the Haley bot. Unfortunately, this town hall trek, uh, wreck, I should say, train wreck, was a perfect example of her greatest flaw. She is a fear-based candidate. Unlike Trump, Haley's a victim of fear, not a malicious vendor of it. She's a candidate frozen by fear, trapped inside her own deep terror, uh, living inside a marathon campaign of night sweats and exhaustingly neurotic overcalculation. Okay. If you tried to find the actual argument inside the black ink cloud of Haley's answer, you could get this. Big government tried to tell Southern folks, y'all, what they could or could not do, like, say, own slaves. Oh, Nikki. First of all, I'd like a president who actually knows why we fought the Civil War. Now her epic stupid fumble will slow things down. And the Haley staff made it worse. They were too slow to deal with this, and the new cleanup messaging is half-assed. She should have had to eat Big Crow right after her screw-up. You know, that's true. 
I mean, she let the next cycle go by until yesterday morning without any statement or clarification. You know, if she had done that, then that would have been incorporated into the first day's news cycle. A lot of people waking up yesterday morning would have seen at least that she was taking it back. Of course, this is what I meant to say and so forth. All right, let's move on to the war. Story three, the Israeli military acknowledging for the first time yesterday that it carried out two airstrikes in the central Gaza Strip day before Christmas, which health officials, which is Hamas, say killed dozens of civilians. A rare admission, says the New York Times, a fault by the Israelis. The military said it regrets the harm to uninvolved individuals and is working to draw lessons from the incident. This is exactly what President Biden has been urging Bibi to do. Stop, you know, dropping bombs on crowds and firing into crowds. Military said that as part of its operations in this particular area, in central Gaza, Israeli fighter jets had struck two targets adjacent to where Hamas operatives were located. And then a preliminary investigation revealed that additional buildings near the targets were also hit during the strikes. And an unnamed military official telling Israel's public broadcasting station that an improper choice of weaponry was to blame for the extensive damage and high civilian death toll. So this is just a total screw-up by Israel, reinforcing the notion that, that it is not very careful when it comes to civilian casualties. And it's just it's painful to read about. Was it deliberate? I don't believe so. Was it negligence? Absolutely. You can tell from the Israeli statements. And by the way, the other war, the war in Ukraine, of course, gets very little coverage right now and has largely been overshadowed. But the Russians yesterday did exactly what the Hamas terrorist did to Israel on October 7th. And by the way, another hostage has been killed, believed to be an American, part of an American couple. It's just savagery. But the Russians bombed a hospital and a school in Ukraine. Any military justification for that? The Israelis aren't hiding out in hospitals and schools. That's what Hamas does. Any justification that? I should say the Ukrainians are not hiding out in hospitals and schools. But big target for the Russians. Hey, let's pause right there. The buzz meter continues right after this. Oh, number four. I have the details here. Oh, oh this is uh, actually a related story in Politico that says that the Biden administration and European officials, you know, both all of those countries aiding Ukraine, are now quietly shifting their focus from supporting Ukraine's goal of total victory over Russia to improving its position in an eventual negotiation to end the war. According to a couple of sources, one in the Biden team, one a European diplomat. Such a negotiation would likely mean giving up parts of Ukraine to Russia. Now, Ukraine would, just, would regard that as a defeat. 
Now, publicly, the White House, Pentagon say, no change in policy. They still support Ukraine's aim of forcing Russia's military completely out of the country. But along with the Ukrainians themselves, U.S. and European officials are now discussing the redeployment of Kyiv's forces, says Politico, away from Vladimir Zelensky's mostly failed counteroffensive into a stronger defensive position against Russian forces in the east. This has also involved bolstering air defense systems, building fortifications, razor wire obstructions, anti-tank obstacles and ditches along Ukraine's northern border with Belarus. So, what they're trying to do is shore up Ukraine's position in a defensive way if there is a future negotiation. Um, A White House official who was given anonymity says that's been our theory of the case throughout. Only way to end this war, ultimately, only way this war ends, ultimately, is through negotiation. We want Ukraine to have the strongest hand possible when that comes. I suppose that might be inevitable. And I suppose, in some ways, it rewards Putin. But at the same time, you can't have a war forever. Russia has suffered heavy, heavy losses. And there just might come a point where both sides are looking to end the fighting. All right, let's wrap up the year's final podcast with a story about superheroes. Story number five. Anybody who knows me, has listened to me, has watched me, has read some of what I've written, knows that I grew up reading comic books. It was actually an important thing for me because I studied the drawing and the dialogue. And then, and I once posted a cover or two of my own artwork, um, I created my own gang of superheroes and drew and illustrated different issues and they got better as I got a little bit older. It was called The Defenders. And needless to say, it taught me a lot about writing. Now we're in a different era. And this was a time when comics were 10 cents or 12 cents and I was into Marvel. I'd moved on from DC Comics. And I was into Spider-Man and the Hulk, and the Fantastic Four, and a whole bunch of others. But now, of course, we're in the age of superhero movies. And man, is Marvel getting wrapped by this New York Times critic. And I haven't seen all the movies. I've certainly seen several Spider-Man movies. I've seen a couple Iron Man movies. But, you know, how many superhero movies can you watch? So the latest release is called The Marvels. And the critic says, you know, before any of the action starts, there's all these flashback sequences because audiences need to know some of what went before to even make sense of the movie. (laughs) It's nowadays tantamount to a college course, uh, says the Times critic. And it seems like audiences are tiring of the constant homework assignments. A year of diminishing box office returns is more proof that the casual 
superhero moviegoer is becoming more and more of a rarity, given that it's now a multi-platform investment. These franchises are spelling their own downfalls as the price of entry into the fandoms uh, has becoming frustratingly high for the dedicated disciples of these worlds and not at all worth it for casual viewers or prospective new fans. I'm sure some people who go to these movies would disagree. But these are, these are now being called, uh, uh, there's an assembly line quality to the plot structures uh, that make it easy to forget that Marvel used to just be able to write these terrific scripts and well-produced uh, shows, hearkening back to Captain America and Thor and Guardians of the Galaxy, which didn't exist in my adolescence, Ant-Man. I was never huge on Ant-Man, but sort of an interesting character. The 2010s were defined by the likes of Black Panther, Guardians, and Avengers movies. Critics liked them. Fans devoured them. But Marvel's narrative fatigue has been building. Um, Guardians made the most money, but it was door, off-putting, and didn't offer the closure that the trilogy had seemed to promise. So you had to see the first two movies to even understand it. Ant-Man... And the Wasp was widely panned for good reason, got tangled up in a psychedelic pseudoscience with no payoff. On the DC comic side, the most impressive feat of The Flash was casting a problematic lead actor as not one but two versions of the same character in a tedious time travel plot that had already been pulled off by the TV series of the same name. I've actually watched uh, a lot of the TV Flash which is on Netflix, I think. And it's pretty good. Or much of it is pretty good. Sometimes there are clunkers. But I have not seen the uh, cinematic version. And although The Marvels was set up to be the big blockbuster, it was unimaginative, unremarkable, and purely targeted to audiences already in the know. It's performed miserably. And even Bob Iger, the president of parent company Disney, Disney having bought... Marvel a long time ago, has taken the rare step of admitting the movie's shortcomings. It's a long way from Stan Lee, who was the creator of Marvel Comics and creator of many of the characters and who used to have a connection with the young comic-buying audience. So I don't know if Marvel, in a final cinematic feat, can pull itself out of this tailspin. But as a longtime Marvel fan who once got a letter published in, I believe it was Spider-Man 22, my first published work, uh, I hope that happens. The box office will tell the story. So as I was saying, have a great weekend. Three-day weekend coming up, folks. Have a great New Year's. Check me out Sunday morning on Fox. I'll be taking off New Year's Day. Nobody is thinking about media and politics, right? Well, maybe some people. Back the day after that. See you then with the first buzz meter of 2024. 
Listen ad-free on Fox News Podcasts and via Apple Podcasts, and Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on Amazon Music. Put the power of over 100 meteorologists and the worldwide resources of Fox in your hands with the Fox Weather Podcast. Precise, personal, powerful. Subscribe and listen now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts.